From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Measured Thoughts on Business Radio. Powered by the Wharton School, here's your host, David Reebstein. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Measure Thoughts with Dave Reebstein on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Dave Reebstein, and once again, I'm joined here in the studio by Sunil Betty. Sunil, welcome. Glad to have you here. Hey, Dave. Glad to, ha- glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And as you know, we are live every Monday, and we are replayed throughout the week, and we are live at 4 p.m. on Sirius XM 111. Absolutely. Which is great. Hope you had a good week. I will tell you, by the way... I had a very, very interesting weekend. You did? I went to a, a Indian wedding. Really? Yeah. Is this Indian. the first one you've been to? So I've always, always wanted to go to an Indian wedding. And I see these in India when I've been there several times. I see this crowds of thousands. And it goes on and on and oh, on for yes, days. Yes, they are. Uh, they're extravaganzas. It, no, it looks like it. You know, And I've seen elephants and all sorts of things. This didn't. This was here in Philadelphia. Okay. And so no elephants. No elephants. Yeah. It was Thursday evening, then the break, and then Friday evening, and then a break, and then Sunday. But the reason I mentioned it yeah. is, aside from the fact it was a wonderful, wonderful event, is... Um, I sat next to somebody I'd never met before, and we started talking before the wedding started. It turns out he was a senior executive of Swiss Air. Oh, wow. And I started talking to him, and I asked him a question that sort of uh, stopped him for a second, which was, I said, what an industry you're in. I said, I can't think of another industry where technology has gone backwards. Technology has gone backwards in the airline industry? That's exactly what he said. He had no idea what I was talking about. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, you know, there was the Concorde and the SST. Oh, sure. And the Concorde would take you in no time whatsoever, under three hours going from the East Coast to the West Coast or to uh, to, to Europe. Thinking, awesome. I never it, did it. it. I never it, it, it. I, I've done it twice. Twice. Wonderful, wonderful experience. They stopped the Concorde. They did stop it. I do remember that. Now, it's amazing to me. I can't think of another industry where technology has gone backwards. Normally what would happen is you end up, um, you know, you come out with the product. Okay, it was too expensive. Concorde was too expensive for them to operate. It made too much noise, so you couldn't fly it over the continental United States because it was breaking the sound barrier. um, But you work on the technology, and you improve it, and you improve it. 30 years Mm. it was in operations. Eh, We're done. And it hasn't been back. And, really. and, it, and it hasn't been back. So one of the questions I want to pose to the huh. audience is, can you think of another industry where technology has gone backwards? So at the end of the show, at the second half of the show, let me know if there's any technology, any industry where you see technology going in the wrong direction. And you may even want to argue with me about the airline industry. I'm going to tell you now, you're wrong. <laughs> okay. But the other thing that uh, was going on this weekend is it's, it's playoff time. It's playoff time. And so sure. the NBA is in the middle of their playoffs. That's very exciting. Absolutely. LeBron is being LeBron. Oh, and oh, my gosh. 51 yeah. points that first 51 game. 51 points. Woo. And then there's this other guy, you know, for Golden State. I don't pretty know. What's amazing. his name? Yeah. Steph. I think he starts yeah, with Steph S, something, man. you know. <laughs> um, but. Then there's also on ice. There's playoffs going on in, in two different Stanley leagues. Stanley Cup, yeah, which is pretty interesting, and very appropriate for our guests that we have with us today. So returning on this program, I don't have many guests that come on here twice. We have Brian Killingsworth, and he's on this program again. Um, he's the chief marketing officer of what I can say is the Stanley Cup finalist, Vegas Golden Knights. And he's he's joining us in the first half of the program. 
delighted to have him on here. And the second part of the program, what it is we're going to do is we're just going to open the lines to any questions you have about anything going on with marketing, marketing measurement, thinking about brands or technologies that have gone backwards. That's what it is that I want to hear. And if you want to join us in that uh, conversation, you can give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. You can also follow us on Twitter at biz, that's B-I-Z, Radio 111. But let's get started with Brian Killingsworth. Brian, welcome. Glad to have you on the program. Hey, thanks for having me again. Uh, Absolutely delighted and particularly delighted to have you when we're right in the middle of the playoffs. Game four is tonight. Yeah, I mean, you've got to be really excited about tonight. We are. It's uh, Hopefully we get back into this, and uh, we like being the underdog. That's what we've been the whole season, so uh, we're kind of flipped now, and now the underdog in this series, and hopefully we can uh, pull it out. Uh, you know, you may be the underdog, but not in terms of the people that are cheering for you. I, I think you've got more people that are cheering for you than certainly the, whatever that other team is, the Washington Capitals or whoever they are. <laughs> Nobody's cheering for them. They're all cheering for this. You know, when's the, Has there ever been a team that has made it to the finals of their league in their first year? I'd have to look that up. Nobody's won it, so we know that for sure. And I know oh. there's been uh, – um, I believe the Blues, uh, when they first started, they ended up making uh, at least the playoffs, and I'm not sure how far they went. I'd have to look back and consult with our PR folks, but uh, there's never been a story like this. I mean, we're sitting here on the business side. We um, we pinch ourselves because the growth and trajectory of this franchise has just exploded, uh, and we haven't even been uh, a year in existence. It's been phenomenal. I, I, I can't imagine how you can grow. It's all downhill from here. I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I look at at the success that you've had, and just uh, for a moment, let me try and share that. It, I thought I read somewhere that your your attendance at home games, your first season, your attendance at home, home games was 103.9% of capacity. Is that right? Yeah, no, that's correct. We um, we have a great season ticket member base that's predominantly local. We're about 85% local. And then uh, we have the opportunity to kind of flip the group sales model on its head and uh, charge a little bit more of a premium for our group tickets. But uh, we've been selling standing room only tickets all season long. So uh, that's what allows us to get over that 100% threshold and uh, – we're at uh, almost 104% for the season. It, it, it shouldn't be a burden for it to be uh, standing room only because uh, with the excitement you guys generate on the ice, I assume if you have a seat, you're standing anyhow. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You're right. The excitement is nonstop, and uh, our fans have supported us all season long that way for sure. Um, and as I said, it's going to be hard for me to imagine where you go from here because this has just, just been incredible. But let's go back for a second. I, I want to make sure that uh, that I have an understanding of what a chief marketing officer does for a sports team. Now, you've done other sports teams before, right? Correct. I um, started out my career in baseball with the uh, Tampa Bay Rays and then uh, was there for about 10 years and I uh, wanted to try uh, the NFL side of things, so I went to the St. Louis Rams for three years, and then most recently the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for two. And when this opportunity arose to uh, help start something from scratch, 
in terms of uh, a professional sports franchise in the entertainment capital of the world, I uh, jumped at the opportunity. Yeah, you know, there's not many athletes that have done two sports. I think, you know, Michael Jordan tried it once and Bo Jackson, I guess, did it. I can't think of many others. You, you're going, you've done the trifecta and I suspect you're going to, you know, go for uh, the Grand Slam and do all four sports. But right now you've got the, you've got the pearl uh, that you're operating with, with the first year of a startup, you happen to be uh, in the in the playoffs. But let me understand the job of a chief marketing officer for a uh, a professional sports team. Uh, I'm assuming, you know, the, the immediate instinct is, well, you need to get people in the stands, but um, or I guess it's in the arena. But what else? Who are your other audiences that you're trying to appeal to? You know, for us, um, well, I'll just backtrack a second to the football days. I mean, in St. Louis and Tampa, uh, held the same type of role, and the, the job really, first and foremost, was to grow the brand. And uh, what that meant in terms of the situation with ticket sales in both those markets was to really drive people to come to the stadium. Uh, when I got a chance to come here, uh, to Las Vegas, I've quickly learned that there was already an incredible waiting list uh, of people that have put down deposits, uh, 14,000 of those that converted into about 12,500 season tickets. So that was already built in. We had the ticket sales side covered. So it wasn't the traditional approach of utilizing advertising and marketing to really sell tickets, which is kind of how I cut my teeth in the industry. And so a lot of the resources and, um, and, and, and the efforts went towards growing the brand because we were launching this for the first time from scratch. In terms of the role of a chief marketing officer, I think it varies from team to team, but uh, in my current situation, we try to find ways to really support and promote the revenue aspects of our organization. So the ticket sales side, the sponsorship side, and the uh, the merchandise are kind of the three big pillars of a revenue side uh, for the for our organization at least. And uh, with the ticket sales side pretty uh, pretty taken care of in terms of just the season tickets, it was incumbent upon us to really try to push the remaining single game tickets that we had uh, from from start to finish through the season, and then support different programs and platforms that can be sellable on the sponsorship side, and then. You know, I've uh, I've dug in pretty deep into the merchandise side of things because that's so key in getting this franchise off the ground the right way is to make sure we have enough merchandise and enough product for people not only locally but around the world, uh, which we've been pretty successful with. We've had people over 90 countries buy Golden Knights gear, and so that's been a big focus of mine as well. So you mentioned three things, tickets, sponsorships, and merchandise. You can't sell any more tickets. Um and, and by the way, have you already sold out um, season tickets for next year? We have, Dave. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So you, you you can't do any more there. You sponsorships. I assume you can't be taking on any more sponsors uh, this year, and you probably have sold out your sponsorships for next year. There's a, there's some opportunity there. I think our opportunity with sponsorship is uh, we've done really good locally, uh, but I think we can uh, also take on a couple bigger national sponsors. So I think there is some growth there for sure. 
Okay, and then merchandise, that, that should be unlimited. You can keep doing that. But I can't imagine that's a huge part of your overall revenue. And I, and I don't know, do you have to share some of that with the league? Uh, depends on the time of year, um, and then also depends on our partner. We, uh, we've got a couple different ways that we have merchandise and retail from our perspective. Um, if it's on, sold online, the, the model is basically we share with, with every other team. Uh, in the NHL, but anything that's sh- that's sold at our outlet that we own and operate, that's a different revenue stream that comes directly to us. Sure. And then we also have the revenue coming in on the uh, on the arena side, which is in partnership with Rank and Rally. So we've got a couple different ways that we look at the retail piece. Uh, but for, from our perspective, it was really getting as many jerseys out in the marketplace as possible. Uh, in a fast, rapid manner, and then to really try to capitalize on the excitement uh, of the inaugural season. And, um, you know, in most teams, I wouldn't say the revenue figures that significant on the retail side, but from us in year one specifically, it's been a very significant number. Wow. And, you know, I I can imagine it's only going to keep growing as you guys uh, continue to go even deeper in this, uh, in the finals. So, Pretty pretty impressive. Let me remind our audience, you're listening to Measured Thoughts with Dave Reepstein on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. You can give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. I'm Professor Dave Reepstein here at the Wharton School, and I'm sitting here in, in the studio with Sunil Betty, who's a phenomenal doctoral student and is a regular here on the program with me and delighted to have you here. And we're currently speaking with Brian Killingsworth, the chief marketing officer of the Vegas Golden Knights, who's killing it. That's uh, that's where your names come from. Killingsworth uh, <laughs> is, you know, kill, is uh, indeed killing it. So um, what marketing activities do you do to actually stimulate sales for merchandise? Again, it's the game. It's the players that are, keep winning and winning and winning. So I'm trying to figure out what you do. You got You just have this cushy job sitting there watching <laughs> these guys play. You know, it's funny. Um, when the team wins, whatever team you're affiliated with, it tends to make you look a lot smarter as a smart sports marketing executive. Sure, right. <laughs> specifically in marketing. But, uh, you know, what's interesting is we started out being hyper-local. We had the, the terrible tragedy that happened on October 1st here. We really had to step up and be the – uh, right. the, really the outlet for fans to come and come together and grieve. And uh, it was only really nine days after that event. So we stepped up from our perspective. We had to take responsibility and help the community heal. And that was important for us. We have uh, launched a Vegas-born campaign. It was about celebrating the fact that we were the first major professional sports franchise in Las Vegas and what that meant. And that's really caught on well with with locals and but we've noticed that uh, through the playoffs, we've uh, we've launched a lot of different initiatives towards really capitalizing this uh, spotlight that's on us and really becoming more of a worldwide brand. And uh, so we've launched a campaign called VGK Worldwide, and we've uh, that's where we've seen the growth all across the world. Because as you said, you know, if you're a hockey fan in any market here. Uh, we've at least hopefully become your second favorite team. But in most cases, because of the underdog story, because of the, the fact that the team was made up of a bunch of players that were and coaches that were all fired or let go by their team. And so we've become, 
uh, embracing of this moniker of golden misfits. And so everybody can relate to the story of the, you know, the team that was put together by a bunch of cast-offs. And so I think that started to really appeal uh, internationally. And so we've, uh, we've really focused a lot of our efforts on, on the international reach. We've had incredible local TV ratings. Uh, we did a 28 rating last game and a, wow. almost a 45 share, which is almost one of every two TVs that were on in Vegas were on our game. And when you start seeing wow. stats like that, it's pretty phenomenal to see uh, how this franchise has really taken hold of this community and how the community has really supported this team. And uh, that's that's really what uh, I look to try to see is how we can capitalize on the excitement and the momentum from from all those perspectives and see how we can continue to sustain it. So when you talk about uh, you know building this international following that you've got, and uh, and my guess is like I'll start as I travel globally, I'll end up seeing you know the the VGK logo showing up in various <laughs> different places. It made me think about Manchester United. Yep. And, and I think Manchester United, Sunil, you'd know more about them than I do, even since you're a big, a soccer, big soccer fan. fan yeah. um, I think they're the largest merchandise brand, uh, sports team in the in the world. Um, I think Matt, right. Matt's going to look that up that right now right. as I'm talking. Have you learned anything from them about how to be a, a global sports brand? Yeah, I think looking at the EPL as a whole, uh, I think they do a tremendous job with that, whether it's Arsenal or Man U or man united i think what what we've learned a lot from from that is uh you have to have the outlets um you have to have the outreach as well and so we've been trying to do a lot of pr efforts uh interviews in australia and all these different countries um that we've really tried to really focus on telling that story the right way uh they got to have the distribution as well but one thing that uh man U has done a tremendous job is is creating a level in between a ticket member and a fan so it's it's almost like people feel like they've got those fans have a vested interest and almost an equity stake in the team because they have this membership in the franchise Mm -hmm. and i think that's a model that we want to strive to to become down the road but they've done a tremendous job of that yeah I i think it's interesting to try and learn from other teams and other leagues and everything i can't think of anybody who's in a better position to do that than you given all your particular experience. I, I think that's uh, that's pretty cool. One of the things that uh, Sunil and I were doing before we uh, started the program is we just uh, turned and, and looked at your um, pregame uh, entertainment that you do, which it, for any of our listeners out there, go online and search Golden Knights pregame and, and look at the videos of what it is that Something you do. It, it's I've never seen anything like it. It's a Las Vegas production on ice. You know, you, you've blown Disney away, you're, you're <laughs> Las Vegas uh, production. Where did that come from? What's that doing for building your brand? It's incredible. I mean, it's, uh, it's really um, – it started with Bill Foley, our owner. He really challenged the entire staff to do things differently and be innovative. I think we all embrace the fact that we're in the entertainment capital of the world. So what are the resources we can pull from? How can we compete here locally with all the shows too, right? Because we have to stand out. It's not just the landscape of other teams that are competing across the NHL, but we're competing with you know, legendary acts here in Vegas. And so we really felt like we needed to 
put a product on the ice in terms of entertainment outside of the game action that would be compelling and would be something that would uh, be very buzzworthy that people would talk about and want to be a part of because that's the true differentiator is uh, is to be able to be there in arena to be able to see that live but Johnny Greco he's the guy that leads that and and the team that handles the entertainment and he has a WWE background so he brings some of that aspect to the table and I think the great thing about it is no idea is too crazy um, last series we had uh, one of the challengers to our Golden Knight uh, who was representing Winnipeg uh, we have a little pregame uh, battle and uh, we lifted him straight up into the rafters, and he just disappeared. So people were wondering where he went. And uh, it's that element of surprise and delight that we really try to focus on. And I think the fun thing is, is, is we all just have fun with it. We think about it from from the perspective of a fan. What would they want to see? Uh, and then how can we always try to turn that into creating a home ice advantage? And so our fans get there early. They're loud. They support this team like none other, and they do create that home ice advantage. But, you know, we're real blessed to have Blue Man Group and Cirque du Soleil to be able to pull on for resources, uh, you know, that we have during intermissions. And it is a true entertaining experience from start to finish when you come to one of our games. So I've stayed at the Bellagio before, and uh, and the fountains there at the Bellagio are just a spectacle all in uh, of, the, of their own. Um, but once you've watched it, it's the same show every time. Are the pregame shows the same every time, or are they different time to time? We kept it pretty much the same throughout the regular season. Once the playoffs started, we really amped it up every round. And so that's where we kind of add a little bit more to the show, bring in the opponent a little bit more. During the regular season, it was really all about the Golden Knights and what it means to be a knight and represent you know, the epitome of the warrior class and and what that represents. But we started really amping it up and using the on-ice projection and utilizing the live action component of our Golden Knight on ice, challenging the opponent. We uh, we incorporate a lot of the video elements in the on-ice projection and really amp up the musical score. And it really is a production in itself, and it's a phenomenal. And like you said, it's if you were to uh, encourage the listeners to go check it out, it's definitely something that's unique, and we try to pride ourselves on on that, but really it's to, to celebrate our fans and give them, uh, get them primed and ready for, uh, for the real action that happens on the ice after that. You know, Brian, uh, one thing that we have talked about with other you know, teams and, and other marketers that have worked with sports teams is that you don't control the product. You know, we, we, we've talked about some teams, we've talked to some teams, uh, some CMOs that they recognize, you know, you don't control the product. It's all about the players. In some ways, the brand um, has to do with how good the players are, whether they're you know, doing things off the ice that are great or not so great. So how do you think about managing the brand when you don't really have control over so much, so much aspect of what, what makes the brand relevant? You know, I think it helped me to go through some really lean years with the Tampa Bay then Devil Rays. And uh, at a time where the team was losing about 105 games per season and really last place in the league for about five years straight. I'm, I'm, I'm from Tampa, so uh, I, I sympathize. I empathize, yeah. I empathize with that. So you remember those years. Uh, <laughs> I it do. was a rough patch for sure. And uh, it, was, it was one of those where I quickly learned that you can't rely on the players and the performance. And so throughout my career, I've always tried to focus on what you can control. Just like you said, you can control the experience. You can control 
that the hot dogs are warm, you can control, that the beer is cold. You know, what are the elements that you can control? And so I tried to really start establishing an entertainment perspective. And so with the Rays, I helped launch our post-game concert series where it was one of those things every Saturday night we'd, we'd book a really high-end act because we wanted to give our fans that, that value proposition where they could go see a concert, whether it was Beach Boys or you know, uh, Miranda Lambert or whoever it was at the time that they got that free with a price of admission. And I know a lot of teams have done things like that, but I think if you go back to what you can control, uh, with the, whether it be the experience, the family aspect, sure. the memories – uh, in from start to finish, that's something that you focus on. And I think it goes back to how we tried to market this team from the start. It wasn't all about one player. We could have easily put uh, Marc-Andre Fleury on every billboard in town and in every print ad, and uh, but we chose not to. It's kind of a philosophy we had, which was uh, our brand and our logo is the face of the franchise. Sure. And uh, and that's really resonated with fans with this team approach, and we have this really no ego philosophy. But if you are out there really promising a Stanley Cup or you're promising a World Series, and you fall short of those expectations, then that doesn't sit well with fans. And so we try to be real genuine and honest in our communication over social media. We try to be a little irreverent in our humor as well. You know, we uh, we celebrate with the wins, and then we also lament the losses as well, just like a fan would. And I mm-hmm. think if you take that approach, I think it can go pretty far. So what would be the uh, prime thing, if you, if you had to nail it right now for us on the air, what's the prime thing that you're doing to sort of address Sunil's question, which is to build that brand? Because you said that's what you're all about is building the brand. So what is it that you're doing that works the best in building the brand outside of, having a team that, that is, uh, is performing so well? You know, I think it starts with families here locally because we could do, we can only do the, the international outreach because the team is being successful right now. But it all starts back to what do we fall back on? And we fall back on the fact that we want to be an entertaining product for families to be a part of. And so we've got this great practice facility, City National Arena, that we open up all throughout the year and we have open practices, but more importantly, we've got learn to skate and learn to play programs. And so that is the heart of what we are trying to do is to really try to reach families and kids and to really get them excited about the sport of hockey. And then eventually they will get excited about the Golden Knights. And so one thing I'm incredibly proud of is we've uh, partnered with the Clark County School District here in Las Vegas, and we're going to reach over 80,000 kids in middle school programs here through the curriculum that is built around the Golden Knights and hockey. And so we will be a part of the active uh, PE program here locally and use hockey as the base to try to get kids more active, whether it's street hockey, learning the rules, uh, training for it as well. And so that's a really, really important thing that, that we're trying to do in terms of building the brand. And I think once you do that, you connect in ways that are deeper than just uh, just the 41 games, I think that that is where it's a year-round proposition and becomes really a part of the community and a part of what we're trying to do. Um, I, with all due respect, I've got to tell you that if I had to think about a professional sports team in the desert, hmm. ice skating would have been probably the last, <laughs> you know, right? I mean, come on. Are you going to have people ice skating when you're in in uh, in the desert? And somehow you've done that. that don't you think any of the other sports uh, leagues might have made more sense there? 
you know, Bill Foley had the vision to make it work, and he thought Las Vegas was an extremely attractive opportunity for sports in general, but realistically, hockey was the one sport that he owned in on, and he thought that would be successful. You know, Las Vegas, in terms of all the other markets, has the lowest participation rate in the learn-to-play programs, which, like you said, obviously hockey in the desert, but we've seen explosive growth. Right now, we've got five sheets of ice. We've got active programs where we are almost at 1,000 kids through the Learn to, to uh, Skate program, and we see it as a progression. It's a triangle as we get kids through the system where they first are excited about the Golden Knights and they start developing these relationships with the players and the team, and then they become comfortable skating, and then they become comfortable playing, and they go through the Learn to Play program. It's a, all a progression of fandom, and I think before long you're going to see – uh, a lot of sheets of ice popping up here in Las Vegas because right now we only have five, and so we're trying to get match the demand of the community. You know, a market like Anaheim has 29 right now, so how do we eventually catch up over time when we have the demand that here is, is rampant? But I drive around town, and I see Golden Knights gear everywhere, and I see these little pickup um, street hockey games. It's phenomenal. Like, kids are really embracing the sport, and uh, it's, it's like none other I've ever seen. Well, watch out, Canada. I see you taking over, you know, the, the whole, you know, sort of culture of that. And I suspect curling's coming next. Uh, yeah. So, I, you know, I've got to ask you, to, uh, I think tonight is game four. Is that right? Correct. Yep. In D.C. In, in D.C. Are you in D.C.? No, I stayed back. We've got great watch parties that we try to really uh, – celebrate with our fans so a bunch of the executives stayed back along with a lot of our staff and so we've we're opening up t-mobile arena and we expect to have about fifteen thousand there tonight watching the game oh sweet i like that that's uh that's great but there will be a game five for sure and that's going to be happening thursday night um what have you got planned for game five we got a lot of surprises, that's for sure. We, um, you know, our pregame is going to be pretty phenomenal. We've got a couple things uh, up our sleeve um, that we're going to roll out. We've got uh, a nice long list of celebrities as well that are going to be partaking in the game. And I think the neatest thing for me is uh, is you've got these. You find out about celebrities that have uh, requested tickets, and we have to tell these celebrities, sorry, we we don't have any tickets. So, uh, but what's neat is when they start popping up. And because they've already be either a season ticket member or they bought tickets. And so the other night we had everybody from Imagine Dragons and Frank Thomas. And, you know, we had all these from across the industries. We had uh, Travis Barker from Blink-182. And a lot of the, the residencies, you know, they, they are here in Vegas. They want tickets as well. And, you know, it's been a, the toughest ticket in town, that's for sure. But, you know, we've got a couple things planned. Um, that are going to be exciting. We can't reveal too much yet, but you, you I'll, could, you, I'll keep the secret. You can tell us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we whatever it takes to have us get home ice advantage. That's going to be our focus on on Game Five, and so you'll see us do a lot of things to get fans in early and uh, and to get them loud and and proud before uh, before we start and drop uh, the puck. So I know that I'm going to. Tune in early just so I can see Absolutely. the uh, the pregame. That's going to be worth it for sure. For any of those fans that are out there, hockey fans, you got to watch from the very, very beginning. But I will also say, if you're not a hockey fan, you still want to tune in and, and watch this. And, and my guess is what it is that you're doing is you happen to be growing the size of the pie and and getting people to start paying attention uh, when they ne- uh, we're not necessarily doing that any, anyhow. 
Um, I will note, by the way, I think you're um, in, in the top four in terms of draw and uh, on away games also, that you draw a big crowd. And again, already when you've got this team uh, made up of people that are sort of refugees from other teams. Yeah, I think that's the best part is that uh, from the start, you know, each one of our players were cast-offs from another team. And so when they played, they were playing against another opponent that one of those players was let go from. So they would all band together and try to play it for that player that was let go. And I think that that's been a special approach. When you actually think about that is every game they were fighting for each other. We don't have a designated captain on this team either. I think that's uh, it really goes to wow. the no-ego approach. Uh, and we've got pretty consistent lines all the way throughout. So there wasn't one superstar per se, but almost every player had their career year this year and played above their expectations. And it's been special to be a part of. You know, we uh, we think the script is written a certain way, and that would be magical if it happens. But uh, we're, we're, we definitely need to win tonight. Well, that, that would be nice. Let me ask you one last question before I let you go. Um, what is it you've learned from your first season that um, that that really our listeners should know. You know, so what's the big takeaway that you have? You know, I think that one of the takeaways is, um, you know, I told somebody the other day we're we're striking this incredible balance that I think we'll never see again, at least from a sports marketing perspective. And I joked and I said, you know, we, you know, we're we're less than a year old. We're still trying to figure out how to work the printer, but we're also okay. planning, you know, a Stanley Cup final. And so it's this crazy dichotomy of of balancing a true startup with uh, the peak of, of the profession. And so it's uh, the biggest takeaway that I've learned probably is, is to capitalize on the now. And, um, and so every, every day we're challenging each other to be as innovative as possible, and we're layering ideas on top of ideas. And we're not just resting on our laurels. We're really trying to push the accelerator down, and um, I think that that's important is to just not let up. I think, you know, you, you look at this as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and uh, and to just continue to go extremely hard uh, all the way through the finish line. And I think that's what we tell our staff. That's what we, uh, that we're excited about communicating to the community is, is that's how we're going to be, continue to go forward. But um, that's probably the biggest takeaway. Well, it sounds fantastic, and uh, best of luck in in, uh, in what has been a dream season. And you're right to totally try and capitalize on this and build for the future. Uh, it, it's it's going to be hard to imagine what what you're going to do next. But I guess I'm going to have to tune in to watch on uh, on on Game Five Thursday yeah. night and Can't see wait. what it is that Can't happens. Wait. So, Brian, thank you so much for joining us, and good luck tonight and uh, and through the rest of the playoffs and. Uh, Take home the cup. It'll be great. That's right. Thank you guys for having me. Okay. Thank you. We're going to need to take a a short break, but please do stay with us. Uh, When we get back, we're going to take your calls on anything marketing, branding, metrics related in the last 20 minutes of the program. Also, if you have any idea, if you can name another industry that's gone backwards in technology, like the airline industry, Um, I want to hear it because I don't know of any other industry that's gone backwards. And so if you want to join the conversation, give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Or you can send us an email at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. This is Business Radio powered by the Wharton School on SiriusXM 111.